from HerbMentor.com, this is Herb Mentor Radio. You are listening to Herb Mentor Radio and HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. My guest today is Sean Donahue. Sean is a traditional herbalist and poet. He is a contributor to Plant Healer Magazine, frequents the HerbMentor.com forums, and teaches classes at, and speaks at conferences nationwide. He encourages students to build their own deep personal relationships with the plants around them grounded in the experience of their own senses and their own hearts. Sean will be speaking at the Traditions in Western Herbalism Conference this fall in Arizona, and we will mention some of his other classes and courses he's teaching later in the show. You can visit Sean any old time you want at medicineandmagic.com. Sean, welcome. Thanks for having me, John. Yes, and on behalf of all Herb Mentor members, thanks for uh, offering your wisdom and experiences in the forums and uh it's great to uh have you here and you know i love um talking with uh, folks about different all different ways and of relating to plants and i know you listen to herb mentor radio so i know you've you've have heard all the different kinds of uh viewpoints and different kinds of things that we've done and you know our relationships with herbs are so important on our learning journey and everyone seems to have different experiences and um last year you taught a a really well-received class because I think I walked by it and it was like packed, you know, <laughs> at the Traditions Conference <laughs> called uh, Allies for the Underworld Journey. And um, and that is definitely an awesome title and definitely piqued my interest for sure. And this is winter time. This is the uh, dark times here. Um, and so we're recording this in February. So, uh, and, um, and so, and that's the water element in Chinese medicine. So this would be a great time to talk about uh, herbs and magic. And many associate, you know, topics in magic or things about that with things they see in movies and, you know, or, or fantastic things, you know, or maybe people find things counter to their belief systems and things like that. But um, I... Uh, probably pretty sure that there's a lot of uh, misconceptions and misunderstandings. So, Sean, what is... What is magic? How do you define that? I would say that magic involves having a really deep relationship with the natural forces of the universe around us. Really being invested in them well enough to understand their flows and to be clear enough in your own self, in your own heart, and your own will to be able to know where and how you want to direct energy, to know what energies are available to you, what allies you can call in, and to do that in a precise and focused way that harnesses any energy that's available to you towards 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 a goal of um, continuing your own part in the process of the universe always creating itself. So... Um... So basically, it's uh, you have an intention of learning something or want to do something, and it, it seems to be a lot about what you're saying is about just uh, intention and manifestation. Absolutely, um, and self knowledge. So, you know, you can manifest all kinds of things, and um, and certainly there's nothing wrong with uh, if you're. Um, if your cupboards are empty and you um, are, are, in need of, are, in, are in need of some food, uh, using magical techniques to 
call that to you. But there's also a deeper level of really understanding and refining more and more of the sense of the life you want to live and the way you want to be in the world and the way and the gifts you want to bring forward and using that will and intention to um, to to guide that in a really focused way, really fine-tuning more and more what is it you want, who it is that you are at the core, and then really um, just knowing where to place yourself in the flow of, of everything around you, whether it be um, we're working with the cycles of the moon and looking at what the moon's doing, um, or working with the cycles of the sun, looking at where you are in the year, or looking at the way a river flows, and um, really focusing your will and your imagination in alignment with those flows, with that motion, with that direction, so that you can pick up on that energy and ride with it. So So there's a part of it that's really active, that's really sort of putting your desire and your intention into the world. And then there's a part of it that's really learning to cooperate with things it's really, and ha- learning to have a deeper relationship with what's, with what's around you. And you have to have both pieces to keep it in balance. Um, now, how about a simple example? Because I know that when somebody you know, is thinking, oh, this is on something that's interesting to me or in this direction, and... And uh, I think people are a little, you know, a little frightened, not too sure what to do. Can you, I mean, can you give an example of how simple, um, you know, like some something someone could do and like what you mean in, in a real practical, just before we get into plants and medicine, you know, just like a, we're going to get into that in a second. But before we get into that, if you were someone who was just to say, what's, what's an example of what, how I do this? Like, what, like you know, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, because yeah. I know personally I, I learn better with examples. I'm, I'm never, uh, I'm not a big theory person, you know, like I'm, I'm more just like, okay, give me an example. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And, and these are ideas that are very different than what most of us grew up with. And so, yeah, it takes, it, it can, it takes some getting used to, to, um, to, to approach it and to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But I think probably one clear example that I could think of is, um, you know, um, I've living in Maine. I'm in the process of moving to the Northwest. Mm-hmm. And uh, last fall, I was um, I was getting ready to make, to make a trip out in December to visit. And I didn't quite know how I was going to make it all work. There seemed to be a whole lot of obstacles to getting there. And we happened to have a hurricane coming through our area. And I thought, huh, this is interesting. This is a storm that's moving really quickly, and I want really fast motion. And the storm is moving to the north and to the west. Mm-hmm. And that's where I want to move. Mm-hmm. So I went outside in the storm, and I gathered a jar of rainwater. And I held the rainwater in my hands, and I focused really clearly on sort of feeling myself where I wanted to be, as though it was already happening. And then I sort of blew, blew a breath, uh, imagining, imagining that intention in my head, going into the water, uh, into that rainwater, and went inside and put it, put it on my altar. And um, 
that's the simple version. There were some <laughs> more whistles and bells involved over over the weeks that followed, but that was the core of it. And right. that, and sure enough, over the next few weeks, um, you know, uh, cheap, cheap plane fares showed up. Uh, the money to be able to make the trip showed up. Um, things um, began to flow more in that direction. So it's kind of giving things a nudge. And you still have to do the, the things that you would do in everyday reality. Like I couldn't have sat there and not bothered to look at Travelocity and Expedia and expect that the <laughs> place right. just, right. <laughs> just show up. Thing, it, you're still living in a, a natural world, but you're using... You're working with the energies around you to just, to just sort of tweak things a little bit, to just to kind of change the flow a little bit. In some so, ways, it's kind of like the way you move, move in martial arts. You mm-hmm. know what, what the energy's doing, and you shift what what you're doing so that you can take advantage of what's coming at you. So so I, what I get here is we got uh, some different elements I'm seeing here is we're working, we're paying attention to nature and going with the flow. We're having an intention and um and we're taking actions right so those are some exactly. threads that i'm i'm hearing if i'm gonna you know try to think about a few break it down into a little bit and a big part of it is just that your place in nature and right and just like really paying attention Absolutely. to signs and and things going in, in, in the natural world and a kind of uh and then and do those things then kind of work when you're doing all that kind of then synergistically to kind of create an energy movement and things, is that what you notice? I'm trying. They do. And they also work better the deeper the, your relationship with the forces and beings you're working with. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I have a hawthorn tree mm-hmm. that I go and visit every morning, and I make little offerings of milk or of honey mm-hmm. uh, to the hawthorn tree. Uh, hawthorn is a sacred tree in Celtic traditions, and it was sacred to uh, the fairy realms, and in those realms, milk and honey are traditional gifts, and so honoring that in the tradition of my ancestors, I bring milk and honey, and I found that that, because I have that honoring relationship over time, sometimes when I have something I'm really holding deep in my heart, Hawthorne's plant of the heart, I will uh, sort of put that put that prayer and that intention to some sort of little object that I'll tie into the branches of the tree, and that that's become really potent magic for me, because I've, because I've put the time into building that relationship. You know, a lot of times people will talk about herbs and magic, and there will be sort of lists of, you know, this plant was traditionally used magically in this way, and those are valuable information about things people did at a particular time and place, and they might or might not work for you as well. But for me, it's not so much about memorizing associations as it is about developing those really personal relationships with what's around you. So you really understand what you're interacting with, and you've really invested some of your, invested yourself in that relationship. And then that's something you can call on in a much more potent and much more personal way. Right. Okay, so then let's go a little deeper then into medicine and magic. So what is that? Maybe just go in a little more into that connection between medicine and magic. Yeah, well, really at their oldest levels, when you look at uh, indigenous cultures around the world, uh, whether that be um, 
certainly when most of us in North America speak of indigenous cultures, we think first and foremost of the First Nations on this continent. Um, but really, when you look back far enough, all of us come from indigenous ancestry, which really just means um, people who live on the land that um, pe- people who, who have developed a deep relationship uh, and a culture and society based on the land where they live that's really deeply enmeshed in cycles of life. And when you look back far enough into the history of any culture, any, all cultures really began as indigenous cultures. At that point in their history, um, everything about, about their way of life um, is deeply embedded with the living world around them. And from that standpoint, uh, religion and magic and medicine aren't particularly separate. They're all about maintaining balances in the person, in the community, in, um, in the ecosystem, in the relationship with the land, and that attending to those balances on all the, those levels um, becomes a way of maintaining health, be it uh, physical health mm. or emotional health or spiritual health or be it the health of the community or be it the health of the land. And that none of those things can really exist apart from the others. Oh. And so, um, you know, we live in a culture where most of us most of us come from lines of ancestors who lost that connection long ago. Most of us aren't living where our ancestors did right. before. So the best that we can do is to develop those new relationships ourselves um, with what's around us by really putting the time into listening and watching and honoring um, everything in our immediate surroundings. And that comes, that actually ties back into some of the traditional places of the healer, the magician, the witch, Mm -hmm. and the community was that that person generally tended to live out at the edge of town, sort of right where the where the forest ended and where the village began. There would be the little huts that you'd that you that uh, you'd have to walk away from the village to get to. And part of that was that um, that person wasn't caught up in all the drama of the community, so they could work more on looking at it from a clearer perspective and rebalancing things. But another part of it was that it really was a place where worlds met, where um, that person was responsible for the community, um, for being the one who really maintained, at the deepest level, the relationships with the plants and the animals and the the water and the land and the sky and the forest. Uh, Certainly everybody had some of those relationships themselves, but there was one person whose job it was right. to really hold hold on, to really hold that space, and that also uh, that place where the wild and the human met was very often also the place where the spirit world and the material world were see, were seen as meeting, and so um, that that place of being at the edge of mediating between worlds is a traditional place for healers and magicians of many traditions. Whether you're doing it at a literal physical level or not, um, mm-hmm. there, there's, I, there are approaches in modern life of 
learning to hold those spaces between worlds, learning to uh, walk at that edge that uh, can bring a particular kind of medicine and magic to people. So then, like, it seems as if that they're saying because culturally, uh, whether, you know, whether things are going traditionally, whether it be European or Asian, African, Native American or Celtic or or whatever, that um, we are really like there's elements that we can learn and take forward and continue this way of being in our lives, even though so many of the traditional actual rituals themselves are lost. But, you know, it's interesting, Sean, you know, um, and and sometimes you like, I'm just having this realization, like um, I knew um, some uh, Lakota uh, medicine people that, that have passed away, but elders and, and a one who was a Mohawk and, and, and an African elder. I mean, it's really privileged to know, like, as friends, you know, all have passed away, these people I'm thinking of, but I knew them and uh, considered them friends and vice versa. And and um, they, it seems like they, and they all had rituals that, that seemed to kind of have the same basic idea or the basic things that were purposes, but they were all different, you know, and it seemed that, and they all, and they all were people that learned these rituals from a very traditional place, you know, one from a person who was hidden yeah. from Indian schools when he was growing up in the Dakotas, and one who was raised among tr- a traditional tribe in Africa in the 30s and 40s, and, and they were like, no, this is the way you do it, you know, and, yeah. and then when they would say that, no, this is the way you got to do it. You know, this is the ritual. This is the way I would always be like, yeah, but I'm not connecting with this because I'm not from Africa or I'm not from South Dakota or I'm not from, you know, New York, upper New York state, you know, where you all, where all people yeah. are from. And then so, but, but I, I also, but, but in that I, I didn't, you know, I didn't even realize this till now, but I, I guess in a way I, I learned the essence of what they were teaching and then I somehow found a way in my own life to incorporate that kind of idea or energy that, and so is that kind of where we're, where we're heading here? Yeah, certainly, that, certainly I think there are a million ways to do things, but that's more, very much more the place that I'm heading. I think about, you know, in my, when I was um, in college being really fascinated with, um, Native American culture, mm-hmm. and then finally uh, some Native friends of mine saying, um, you know, it's really great that you respect our culture so much, but this is our culture. It's not yours. Go look at your own ancestors. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that began a part of the path for me where I really have delved more deeply into my Celtic ancestors and some of their practices. I do look to my ancestors because there are some things that resonate deeply and where um, I do believe that on some level uh, where our ancestors come from matters and calling in some of those traditions can be a helpful thing. I look to the people who lived on the land where I live and live there still um, for their knowledge of the plants and the animals and the cycles of nature at the same time recognizing that that's not mine and I can't just take pieces of their practice and their culture willy-nilly and claim to be following them. Right. And then there's a part of it that's sort of, that's more improvised, too. It's sort of looking at, okay, I, get, I see this core, I feel this spirit, and what, 
works here now, because the reality is that even when we're talking about the original traditions of the land we're living on, the land we're living on is not the same as it was 500 years ago. It's been shaped by this contact. So I think it's like a crabapple tree, and about how you know a lot of our crabapples are descended from European apples that were brought over here, but then God, uh, it then uh, began to grow wilder, and they were changed by the seasons, by the soil, by the water, and they became something new that isn't really isn't really indigenous to this continent, but isn't really what came over from the other continent either. And I feel like, um, to me, my practice is kind of a crap apple spirituality. Hmm. But, yeah, it's interesting. I, it's really cool talking about this because I remember when I was exploring. You know, I, I lived in Ireland for a year, and that's where my ancestry is from. Mm-hmm. And I'm, 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 sur- I'm, I'm going around and going, you know, climbing to tops of hills and going to the seaside and talking to people. I'm like. People, it's that nobody remembers that, you know, then, and I'm trying yeah. to then connect with the land. I'm like, I feel a connection here, but there's just, you know, then I go home and then I meet native people who are seemingly offering like culture and ways that they were doing things like, all right, I'll look at, you know, and, and so like you have, right, exactly. You have these feelings uh, all over the place about like, you know, trying to find yeah. that place. And I like that image of the crabapple tree. Yeah, that's, that's cool. So, so then, um, then let's take that to uh, to then how we then connect this with plants. Like, what's this all have to do with plants? Since you said you know with crab apple tree things, so let's go into that. Like, as far as where we can take this with working with yeah. plants. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, Derek Jensen uh, quotes a uh, really amazing uh, native activist and thinker. Um, Ned Armstrong, who says that the fundamental difference between uh, this industrial culture we live in and an indigenous culture is that most people is that most people in this culture think that when someone talks about talking with nature, they're speaking in metaphor, but it's not a metaphor; it's reality. And for me. Um, that's really at the crux of um, working with plants. It's really at the crux of both my medicine and my magic with plants. That um, you know, at a bio- literal biological level, plants are our ancestors and our relatives. Um, slight variation in the molecule between uh, chlorophyll and hemoglobin makes a difference between the fluid that flows through a plant's veins and the fluid that flows through our veins. Um, they are where we emerged from, and they have existed around us. And they, but they have existed around us often in a more constant forms, in a more constant relationship with um, what's around them. So plants know something about how to live in this world um, in a way that deeply um, woven into the ecological patterns around them that um, that we've forgotten. And so, um, to me, I, I first and foremost look at plants as my teachers. Um, and I 
go and spend time um, really, you know, going deep into my heart. Uh, Stephen Buhner teaches some amazing um, practices around this, about around if you bring your attention to the beating of your heart and you think about how your heart has beat for you all your life without you ever needing to ask, and you let yourself feel gratitude for that, you just let that gratitude wash over your heart, you begin to open it into that heart place more deeply. And that heart place is the place from which we communicate with the world. Um, which, you know, if you ask people from most indigenous cultures, where in your body do you live? Um, Buhner points out that they will generally point to their heart. And if you ask people, um, where, where do the plants speak to them? They'll point to their hearts. And what Stephen actually found through a lot of his research is that actually science is beginning to catch up with that, that our heart is this incredibly sensitive electromagnetic organ that picks up on the electromagnetic signals coming from every living thing all the time that are constantly fluctuating. And because as it picks up on those signals, um, we're sending and receiving information from the world around us all the time. Mm. And that gets processed in our brains as emotion because that information goes right into the emotional centers of our hearts. And so that practice of going into the heart, of learning how to be in that space more and more, and then approaching a plant from that place, and really trusting you know, the feelings and the intuitions and the senses that come in uh, from that um, more deeply, and spending enough time so that you can begin to refine more and more your understanding of what's coming from you and what's coming from the plant is really my starting point in building those relationships. And the more I understand those, the more that I come to know a plant in the same way that I would know a person. And like, just like, um, you know, I, as I, the more I know you, the more I would think about, oh, well, here's this person, here's this person John would get along with really well, or here's a situation John would fit into really well, or, hmm. you know, I really need help with this. Who do I know who's good in this way? Well, John's hmm. really great at that. Hmm. In the same way, uh, I could, uh, as I come to know Black Kohosh more and more deeply, um, there's that sense that whether it be a situation of shifting an energy of what's going on in my life or in someone's life around them, or whether it be shifting an energy of what's happening in someone's body, um, it changes from the place of remembering, oh, black cohosh is good for this and that, to that place of, oh, yeah, my friend black cohosh, that's who can help right now. Okay. All right. That makes, that's great. You know, that, that makes it really clear. Um, you know, when you're talking about the relationships, I was thinking um, about it, my friend, I was mentioning my friend from Africa before, and uh, his name was uh, Ingwe. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um he would um say to people um you know, because for him it was all about the relationship and deep connection with nature and those relationships and making and calling on those things and he's from an african culture so his metaphors and things he's working with are power are more more usual large animal based than plant in his culture you know because that makes sense trackers mm -hmm. trackers and hunting game and whatnot yeah you know? and um and so uh 
you know, he would always say, um, you know, when you bring you to the wilderness, if you're, you know, I don't care what your beliefs are. If you're a Christian, I'll make you a stronger Christian. If you're a Jew, I'll make you a stronger Jew. If you're a Muslim, I'll make you a stronger Muslim. His point was that, you know, when you really foster the deep connections with nature, this is for everyone. And it's really, right. it, to, to use the, the computer, because I'm a computer geek, the <laughs> the metaphor of yeah. a, pl a plug-in. <laughs> it's kind of like yeah. you plug this in plug nature back in to the power source into all these uh into all of your belief system and it really isn't about something that's separate from any other belief system it really permeates and can weave in because even as cultures went from pre-christian to christian in europe uh say ireland for example because that's what we're both familiar with probably the most um, that the rituals and the intention behind them didn't change. You know, solstice became Christmas, right? Winter solstice became Christmas, right. and, and then, you know, spring rites became uh, Easter. And then, and then um, you know, it's, it's, it's all of these holidays and the things and honoring of nature that really did stay and did continue and permeate. It's just that we kind of lost, a lot lost our way somewhere, you know. And 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 Absolutely. so and plants are what you're saying. You know, plants are a great way to reconnect because they are, they don't run away like the animals. <laughs> and so you can yeah. you can find them and, and and work with them and create a great relationship. So am I am I on the right track there? Absolutely, yeah. And the plants are incredibly generous in that way, in terms of just being really patient with if you put the time into approaching them with respect and listening deeply uh they're uh most plants are incredibly generous in uh their ability to just sort of take you as you are and keep bringing those lessons more and more deeply for a couple pieces i wanted to pick up on what you were saying is that first of all just in terms of beliefs you know beliefs are the stories we tell about the world around us and how it works. And, you know, just like any other stories, some stories, um, ha it's all from our point of view. And we can, we can say that one story feels more true to us than another. And if that's working for us, then that's great. But the rela actual relationships we have with people... Um, and with plants and with the land, more and more, the more and more they become deep personal relationships, the more they slip out of that place of this is something I have an idea about, uh -huh. um, this is something that I have a story about where it fits in, and the more they become, this is a relationship, this is changing, we're writing the story together as it goes along, whatever else I might believe about where the world came from or um, where moral guidance comes from, this relationship is based on what this plant and I or this person and I experience together. Mm -hmm. And in terms of uh, the other piece I wanted to pick up on was uh, what you're saying about, um, about you know, observing the times of year and the cycles of the year and the way, different, the way cultures sort of mark their holidays according to what's going on around them. That, yeah, when Christianity spread to new areas when the holidays were celebrated changed so that it would make so that the story that was being told about them would make sense in terms of what was happening 
on the land. And um, in my own practice, something that um, my teacher Karina taught me is about, um, you know, finding that cycle of the year for yourself in the place where you are, uh, rather than necessarily measuring according to a set calendar. And when you go back mm-hmm. to the origins of some of the holidays that modern pagans talk about, like uh, Beltane is a big holiday of fertility and the world coming alive that um, modern pagans often celebrate on May 1st. But in Ireland, that was celebrated when Hawthorne bloomed. Right. right. And when you think about how people... Um, Cavorting outside, celebrating fertility. Um, you know, in northern New England, you're not going to be doing that on May 1st. Right. Because <laughs> you're going to get really cold, and you're not going to be seeing a lot of things coming alive around you. Right. <laughs> so if you pay attention instead to the marker of when the Hawthorne blooms, or um, in February, we're just past um, what was the fest- festival in bulk in the old Irish tradition, uh, later became St. Bridget's Day, because mm-hmm. Bridget was the goddess who was responsible for the holiday. St. Bridget was a saint who had a lot of the same attributes as the goddess. And it was sort of the time when you f- you're kind of pe- you're most of the way through winter. You know, spring's not exactly coming yet, but you're beginning to feel that shift. You're beginning to feel like, you know, okay, it's inevitable now that spring is coming, winter is beginning to relent, and you might have some more big storms, but things are, but, but mm-hmm. the wheel is turning. Oh, and yeah, so I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. Do, well, I practice acupuncture, right? five-element acupuncture, and when we're taught to, like, retreat seasons, and we're, like, looking at seasons and people and you know, paying attention to the seasons, and we don't go by the calendar. We go by what's happening outside right. in order to choose what, you know, element to treat on. Yeah, so I get you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and so traditionally uh, in Celtic areas that was celebrated when uh, the sheep and goats gave birth. And um, it was interesting, I noticed this week actually that a friend of mine in the Midwest had her goats give birth right on the day that most people mark as in bulk, which is February 2nd. But then uh, what I've, what I've uh, found here in my time in New England has been that... Um, for me, it's actually when the eastern skunk cabbage melts its way through the ice and points its spade up through the ice for the very first time, because that's the first thing that comes to life. And it's still oh. wintertime, but you can tell that new life is coming. And so, yeah, now I'm moving to the temperate rainforest, and I'm sure that <laughs> my sense of those cycles and what's important will really change The blooming, The blooming of the Indian plum. The blooming of the Indian plum tree will mark your... Yeah. Yeah. Around here. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see the first flowering tree is uh, something you might, one of the things, the signs that I look for personally when I'm walking on the trail, like, oh, Indian plums blooming. Mm. Must must be getting close. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so marking, yeah, marking the year according to what you experience and what's around you is another way of sort of finding where's the energy I can tap into. Right. All right. Okay, that is really cool. So, you know, there's a couple threads we can go down here now. And um, yeah. we have time to talk. So, um, one is like going into specific examples of some plants. Um, like, mm-hmm. and then another is um, like, because I, I, 
I haven't heard you talk about it. So do you like to talk about like your work or think or the underworld stuff or like that you're working work with and teach about or do you want to talk about plants or first or like a, I'm going to let you lead that see where you want to head next yeah um let's talk about plants and, we'll, and I'm sure that some of the underworld pieces will weave into that okay cool that's great awesome so you're you, you were talking a little bit about hawthorn I don't know if you have more to say about that or want to continue with that or you want to talk about any other plants or it's all to you <laughs> yeah, you're the guest. Would you like another cup of tea? Yeah, well, <laughs> if I could pour you some coffee, virtual coffee, let's <laughs> 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 plug that in. Let's plug that into your USB port, and I'm gonna pour you. <laughs> right, I'll Skype you some coffee. <laughs> My computer has Java, so it should work. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh man. Go ahead. So, uh, yeah, so Hawthorne yeah, is an incredibly interesting plant in terms of the traditions and its associations and the energy that it has. So um, to begin with, just thinking about what Hawthorne brings as its core gifts, I think that Paul Berkner really speaks about this wonderfully when he talks about the fact that Hawthorne is so generous in terms of its fruit. When you go out to mm. pick the, um, the the hawthorn berries, if you're paying close attention and you're approaching it in the right way, the hawthorn will just give and give and give of those berries. There's so many berries that will grow off of a hawthorn tree, and they're so deeply nourishing to our hearts at both a physical and an emotional level. Um, but... Um, if you're not paying attention, if you come in a disrespectful way and you just sort of are coming in a way that could be a threat to the hawthorn, there are those huge thorns that you're going to hit up against. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're paying attention, there's no way you're going to accidentally hit those thorns. They're giant. But if you're not paying attention, those thorns will cut you. Right. And um, so hawthorn knows how to how to give generously, but at the same time hold its boundaries and be protected. And I feel like, uh, especially for a lot of us who are doing healing work, that's a really important pair of lessons for us to understand, because, um, yes, that generosity is what brings us to this work and what drives us and what allows us to keep giving. And at the same time, those boundaries are really necessary to our maintaining our health so we can continue to give and to our really keeping clear, keeping clear what are we allowing in and what are we not allowing in because, um, you know, if you're giving to someone from deep inside your heart, keeping clear about what you're letting into your heart is important because whatever you're allowing in is going to also affect what's, what's coming out. So Hawthorne's a tremendous teacher in that way. You know, in the old Celtic traditions, uh, Hawthorne was a plant associated with the fairy realm. And wherever Hawthorns grew on top of a hill, that was believed to be one of the hollow hills that the uh, fairy people had, had gone beneath. And so that story of the fairy people going underground is a really interesting and important story to me. Um, and actually, you know, my ancestors in Ireland trace back to the first Celts who arrived in Ireland, and they're the stories of the war that was waged between 
the fairy people and the Celts, and also the intermarriage that happened between them. And so it was mostly men who came over on those boats, first boats of, boats of Celts, and oh. there were generations of children who followed. So uh, there are many in Ireland who believe that the people who we call fairies today were among their ancestors. But so the story is that, you know, you had this culture that was the indigenous culture of Ireland that uh, many thousands of years ago that worked deeply with the magic of the land that, uh, you know, there are the hill, the forests and the, some of the few forests left and the rivers and the mountains that are associated with the stories of these people. And then into this land came another, came an onslaught of civilization, came a warrior people who um, brought, who uh, were trying to conquer the land and make it their own, which is really, you know, one of the oldest and saddest stories that uh, over and over again in human history, there are the people who are the invaders who come and subjugate the people in the land that were there first. And, you know, somewhere back in their history, they were the ones who were subjugated. So it's not like there are the good guys and the bad guys in global history. It's what, at what point did this particular tragedy hit your ancestors? Hmm. But, at this, but at this particular moment, um, the story is that after a time of trying to coexist after being conquered, uh, the fairy people, the Tuaha the Danan, uh, decided to that they could no longer live in this world, and they disappeared beneath the hollow hills. They went underground. In Celtic traditions, the underworld is really the place of beginnings, the place where, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the dark place, it's the watery place, it's like the womb. It's the place from which things emerge and the place to which things return, and a place of deep deep memory, memory that's older than the stories we tell. And so, um, you know, you can look, there are, are people who take these stories on a more literal level, and I do personally hold to some degree of literal truth in these stories. But at a metaphorical level, you can think about the parts of ourselves that exist in a more integrated way, in a more flowing way in relationship to the land around us. In the civilizing process, it's a process that drives those parts underground because it's no longer safe for those parts to exist in the world when we're not living clearly from our hearts. And then when we do open our hearts, it becomes um, more possible for those parts to reemerge because it becomes safe for them to come out into the world again. And so sure enough, we have Hawthorne, this tree that is tonic for the heart, that um, grows on top of these that grows on top of these hills that the fairy people disappeared underneath. And there are two times in the calendar that are said to be the times when um, the uh, when the veil when when the veil has been created between those worlds at its thinnest, mm-hmm. and the spirits from the fairy world, the beings in the fairy world, can cross into this world more readily. And those two times are Beltane, when the Hawthorne blooms, and Samhain, which we have, 
the ancestor of our Halloween, which is close to when the hawthorn is giving its fruit. I see. Okay. And and one of the things that really fascinates me about this is that you know there's these associations. There are other stories to me that very much point to the hawthorn being this heart opening that was part of that opening to the other two other realms in Celtic traditions. But if we look at medicinal traditions, I've not been able to find any source in European and North American medicine prior to the 1890s talking about the hawthorn being used for the heart. That comes from Chinese medicine, and it came into our medicine from that root at a fairly recent point in history. But yet, at the spiritual and magical level, there are these stories that resonate with that, that indicate something essential about the hawthorn that was speaking its truth in different languages and different ways to different people. Hmm. That's a lot. Think about that. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, 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 as I, you know, you, you talk and I'm just like, so I don't know about people listening, but I'm just like, so like your voice and why you're speaking, I'm just like, so like, I'm so meditating on everything you're saying. I forget that I'm hosting a radio show <laughs> i'm like whoa i'm like oh yeah hi everybody <laughs> i do this i <laughs> this happens from time to time <laughs> it's a good thing i'm not on a real radio station <laughs> they'd, fire they'd fire me <laughs> that's why i do this I'm like, well you know that's yeah, that's the original meaning of the word enchantment that, you, you definitely know, enchanted um no you just have a way of taking um something that seems um like mythical or out there and then taking it and making then all of a sudden oh yeah this makes sense this is very practical i get it (laughs) so so, it's definitely a gift of yours for sure um thank you so then how about uh let's have another plant like um well what would you like i mean there's a lot you can talk about uh, osha mugwort uh, the torah if we want to go really kind of (laughs) weird yeah Uh, whatever you we'll see if the torah comes knocking she's 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 one who when she knocks i pay attention but i also don't go there unless she knocks because as well as being potentially as well as being deeply physically poisonous at uh Mm-hmm. A dosage is not very far from the medicinal dosage, uh, so very don't uh, don't try this at home. Or she also has a very very intense energy, so she might come out later, but we'll see. <laughs> I, okay. I, I let that be up to her. Right. Uh, but uh, so um, you know, one plant that always comes to mind when thinking about these realms is. Um, uh, the plant that I call ghost pipe. A lot of people call it Indian pipe, uh, Monotropa oh. uniflora, uh, oh. one of my deep allies. Um, I don't use the name Indian pipe because, you know, in so many Native traditions, the pipe is a sacred instrument and a, sac- a, a sacred tool. And, um, you know, those aren't my traditions, not my sacred tool. And I don't feel like that name really comes out of the traditions of the people who used that tool, so I feel a bit of, of discomfort around that name. And so Ghost Pipe is another one of the old names of the plant. Fairy Smoke is another one of the old names mm. of the plant. Mm. And I um, really like, uh, I really prefer working with, with those names. I use Ghost Pipe most frequently, but it sounds a little bit more similar to Indian pipes, so someone's more likely to mm. come around to lining up what they already know about the plant with the word that I'm using that way. 
Um, Monotropa uniflora, it's a really interesting plant. A lot of people think of it, a lot of people assume it's a fungus because it's a white plant. It looks kind of mushroomy. It has no chlorophyll. Um, but in fact, it's a plant in the Ericaceae family related to blueberries and heather. Um, it, um, yeah, it's a ghostly white color, and it grows um, with a thin stalk that then goes out into a, a sort of bell-shaped flower at the top, which to me um, looks very much like a, um, a spinal cord with a brainstem at the end. Right. Um, tying back into the old uh, tradition of the doctrine of signatures. Right. Now, the doctrine of signatures is actually an interesting little detour to go on in terms go of magic. So, um, this is another one of those pieces that you can approach in different ways. That I think that you know, a lot of times people talk about the doctrine of signatures as sort of, as though it's sort of a relic of something past and as though there's a set of things that you're supposed to remember. You know, yellow plants have something to do with the liver. Uh, something to do with the liver is an important thing to note there because some yellow plants are liver toxins. Um, but, um, but sort of this idea that there's this set of things you memorize that tell you about plants based on their form. And those are all things that come out of people's actual experience at some point in history, and so there's a validity to them. But to me, the doctrine of signatures actually operates on a somewhat more intuitive level, that um, it's not so much that there are, that you can have this list of, if you see this shape, this is what it means, as it is that when we enter into relationship with the world around us, and we're really paying attention to a plant and to its form and to where it grows and how it grows. Um, as we take in the information from it, our brains will come up with metaphors based on the physical signs we see that point to something that's true about that plant. Hmm. And so in terms of the shape of the spinal cord in the brainstem, um, ghost pipe is actually a plant that has a very interesting relationship to the ways in which we process information coming in from the world uh, that would come in from our peripheral nerves up to our spinal cord and to our brain. Cool. So uh, I first learned about this plant from Tommy Priester, an herbalist in Boston who teaches at the Boston School of Herbal Studies. Really really great teacher, and um, he told me that he used his plant for people who were experiencing physical pain. And the way he described it was that um, if someone was in pain and you gave them this plant, and he said that he would generally give, he, he always worked with a tincture, that if you generally give three drops first, and if someone doesn't respond to three drops, you jump up to 30 drops, because if they don't respond to three, they're not going to respond to five but that it wasn't so much, it didn't kill their pain in the way that you know, something, something like poppy would. It, but it changed the way they were processing that pain. So if they were aware that the pain was there, 
but they were no longer feeling that overwhelming physical sensation. He said it was like the, you take your pain and you put it beside you so that you see it and you know that it's there, but you're not under its control, you're not in its throes. Um, so I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And um, you know, a year later, I began working with the plant myself. I had some interesting adventures about it that um, are a little bit too rambling for me to go into here, but you can, if, if people go to my blog, Green Man Ramblings, um, then uh, they can find some stories of those adventures. But um, I made uh, I made a tincture from it, and then a few months later, um, a friend I had given some tincture to a friend, um, and a mutual friend of hers was visiting her, and she walked in one day and she saw him doubled over in pain, and all. She kept asking what was wrong, and the only words he could get out were the pain, the pain. So she assumed he was in physical pain. So she went and gave him some ghost pipe tincture. And over the next few minutes, he um, sort of sat up straight, stopped rocking, rocking back and forth, and began to be able to respond to the world again. And it turned out that he wasn't actually in physical pain that he was having an acute panic attack. He had just gotten some really devastating news and he didn't know how to process it. Oh. And she brought him over to see me the next day to see what I could, what else I could do to help him. And as he told me the story, he said, it was like somebody took everything that I was worried about and put it beside me where I could look at it and work on it. And I realized, oh, that's how this plant works. You know, our bodies and our brains experience emotional pain and physical pain in very similar ways. And sometimes the sensation, the information that's coming in is just too overwhelming. And so um, we need to find a way to filter that a little bit better. And what this plant seems to do is it works on those channels through which sensory information comes in and it kind of narrows the gate so that you're not getting this onslaught of sensation that's overwhelming you, be that physical sensation or emotional sensation. It allows it to come down into a more manageable place. And I've actually used it in various first aid settings with people who are really freaking out for various reasons and found that um, it's helped tremendously there. And so then we go from the physical form, we begin looking at the ecology of the plant. I, I, just, I just had to interrupt you because this is really weird. Talk about the thing about magic. Yeah. I just get exactly when you're talking, I get this text message. And just, just what you were just saying, I'm serious, my hair stands up on end, right? Yeah. A text message from my sister, right? And then says that, uh, yeah. that my dad has been going to fly out. Actually, I'm, we're going to cross paths in the same city next week, ironically, but... Uh, saying that he's uh, having extreme pain for the last 24 hours, a text message says, and he keeps saying that he wants to die, not being discharged wow. today, maybe Monday, plan to go to rehab, some other message to that. I mean, that just, like, literally came in when you were talking about that, and that's a little weird for wow. me. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. <laughs> live, yeah. live on the radio. Oh, no. That's, 
Wow. <laughs> I just like really okay. Good. I just I had. I mean, I don't mean to say you know. I just try. I just had to say totally. that. You know, cause, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's. So maybe we can just send know, him some think... thoughts of ghost of ghost pipe or something. Just kind of send send it out there to him. With some pain, you know. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely focusing on oh. medicine at that plant going to him, and we yeah. can talk <sighs> more about. Boy, boy. About that, but I uh, wow, and I'm really sorry for the pain that he's going through. Oh I gosh! That I through whatever means he's able to find. Yeah. Thanks. So, so anyway, I, did, I just uh, anyway, you were talking about ecology and going on. So, yeah. yeah, but yeah, but this is also the way that this is part of the way that plants work. Is that you know, plants begin showing up, and you don't. Sometimes you don't know exactly why a particular plant is knocking at the door. Mm. But um, I find that very often um, I'll start noticing a plant just before somebody needs it, um, and that's a part of the way that sort of this living world, all the parts of this living world talking to each other work. And so, yeah, I hope that the medicine of the spirit of this plant really reaches him and is able to help him not be so fully in the grips of this pain. Mm, help nice. him. Mm. Yeah. Come. Yeah. yeah. So, and in a weird, weird way, um, I don't want to seem callous in the segue, but in a strange way, that really plays into part of what I was going to say about the ecology of the plant. Um, so, um, the way this plant operates is that it is, um, a semi-parasitic plant. It places, its, its roots go down into the mycorrhizal networks, the mycelial networks associated with the roots of plants. Those, uh, those are symbiotic networks where the the fungus and the plant are helping each other with with accessing nutrients from the soil. So ghost pipe sends its roots to tap into those interfaces and draw nutrients out of there, and that's where it gets its nutrition. But if you begin to think about what we're learning more and more about mycelial networks and how they operate, and um, I'm sure some listeners are probably familiar with the work of Paul Stamets, if you're not, um, go out and find, uh, there are great interviews with him online. Um, there's a really amazing TED talk that he did where he talks about uh, the ways that consciousness works in the mycelial world. That when we look at the, if you look at the form of these mycelial networks underneath the forest, they look very much like, neur- like the neural networks in our bodies. And in fact, what Stamets and others have found is that chemical and electromagnetic signals move along these networks in the same way that they move in our nervous systems. So here we have this plant that's tapping into those systems those systems to get its nutrients, but in the same way, it's also tapped into that information system. We're learning more and more there's this emerging field of plant neurobiology that's showing that actually plants do receive information in very similar ways to the way we do. And so you think about, okay, you have this plant that's tapped into these networks. A part of what it's going to have to be able to do is, you know, filter what's coming through so that it's not overwhelmed. And it exists at sort of these, yeah, 
taps right into these junctures of the places where beings meet, the places where worlds meet. And so um, part, of its eco- part of its ecology has to do with um, being this mediator that exists in this place of incredibly rich information, both chemically and electromagnetically, and needing to be able to process that down to the point where its little body can sustain what's coming in. So it has this deep, deep connection to this underground world. And simultaneously, when you look at its form, you can think of something, that the flowers have like an opening, and you can imagine going down that opening and down that tube, down into accessing that underground world. Hmm. And the role that it plays in the underground world is one that is very little studied and is just beginning, beginning to be... I guess we're beginning to understand how much we don't understand. I had a really amazing conversation with Ryan Drum about this at the Traditions in Western Herbalism conference, and I hope I get the details right. He's telling me about this forest in New England that um, it was growing back in fields that had been cleared for hundreds and hundreds of years, and about the scientists who were watching what was growing back in that forest, and they had, they had certain ideas and models of what they thought would grow there first. And they found that ghost pipe was showing up years before their models predicted. And there were two incredibly strange things about this. One is that it's a plant that's incredibly hard to cultivate. You can't really plant it very easily on purpose. So either there were rootstocks or seeds that had remained viable but dormant underneath the ground all those hundreds of years waiting for the conditions to be right again, or somehow seed got carried in at just the right moment. But either way, it was as though this was just waiting for the right moment, and then when the conditions became right, this world that had disappeared beneath the ground began to appear again in the form of this plant. Cool. I get it. But the other thing that's an utter mystery about this is that the food source for the plant didn't exist yet, but the plant was still thriving. The mycorrhizal networks hadn't developed to a point where they should have been able to feed this plant, but the plant grew in first knowing that what it needed to survive was going to come. That's incredible. (laughs) Wow. And so when I think of the underworld, I think of this place where what's been lost and forgotten is waiting to emerge into this world again. And when it reemerges, it won't be the same as it was before, because it will be shaped by the conditions around it was growing into. But that things that we thought would never come back, actually when the conditions become just right, those gateways open and they emerge into the world again just like the ghost pipe did in that forest years before anybody could have predicted that it would. And, you know, we know that everywhere that's paved over, there are seeds under the surface and that those seeds remain viable, many of them. And so, um, you know, we talk in vitalist medicine about you remove the obstacle to cure and the body itself begins to correct things, begins to move things back. Or its vital force knows totally. the way yeah. back to health. Totally. 
so the same is true of the earth. We remove the obstacles to cure, and in ways that we don't understand and can't predict, things begin to emerge and return. And certainly, just like with physical medicine, you can damage things so severely that it's hard for, the, for there to be enough life force left to get enough time left for things to come back. So I don't want to paint this overly rosy picture that, you know, one day we're going to wake up and everything's going to have grown back. But, you know, given, enough, given the right conditions, given enough time, given the right nutrients, our bodies find their way back to health, and the world finds its way back to health when we just find what's getting in the way and remove that obstacle. Beautiful. So, Sean, well, that was a good ending, but... <laughs> <laughs> if you were to, uh, <laughs> you are a poet. See, I said in the beginning, you was a poet. This man is a poet. Um, uh, if you were now to have people move it forward and say, okay, today we're gonna, you're gonna do something to bring your connection to plants and yourself closer. Um, what is something simple someone can easily do today to take a step towards the journey of beginning to relate and to plants on the level that you have obviously so deeply have thought about and gone down from just you talking about Hawthorne and Ghost Pipe alone, let alone there's so many others you could. Um, so what would that be, you think? You know, I would say start off really simple. Find one plant that lives somewhere you can easily get to at least several times a week. And the time you spend there doesn't need to be huge. You know, a few years ago I was working in Boston and there was a linden tree that grew right around the corner from my office. And I didn't have a lot of time in my day, and I was working a really busy job. But when everything became too overwhelming, I could take a 5, 10, 15-minute break, however long I had, and go stand with that linden tree and just put all of my attention there. And I would feel things shift in some subtle but powerful ways. And so, you know, just going and being in the presence of one plant over and over again. You're going to get lessons. You're going to get transformation. If you can take it a step further, uh, what I'd say is um, as you're approaching that plant, really bring your attention down to your physical heartbeat and take a moment to give thanks to your heart for all that beating it's done over your lifetime and let yourself feel that gratitude and bringing attention and gratitude to your heart opens that doorway to perception that exists in the heart that allows us to let the plants in more deeply. Um, very simple practice, and I want to again um, make sure that I uh, pay proper respect to its source, that this comes from Stephen Buhner's work, um, but just that simple practice um, can really play, put you in that place of being more open to what 
that plant has to give to you and has to speak to you. And if you just do that, even if it's just five minutes a couple times a week over the course of a year, you're going to come to know that plant and yourself in deeper and deeper ways over that time. Thank you. So, Sean, um, my, you're, 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 going, you're going to be doing this uh, a bit of a trek across the country uh, as you head towards your new home in uh, Vancouver Island, right? And uh, up in BC. And uh, so as you're trekking across between, uh, what, what are some upcoming classes that you're going to be uh, teaching that people could go find out about? They... Yeah, so the details are still coming together around some of these, but mm-hmm. hopefully by the time this uh, broadcast is up, then uh, there'll be a little bit more in place. Um, at medicineandmagic.com, I'll be posting mm-hmm. them. Great. So. Saturday, February 25th, I'll be in Michigan. We'll be sort of Herb Mentor All-Star Day when Jim McDonald and I teach, Ooh, teach about Oh, I want to go. <laughs> yeah. That'd <be> <laughs> oh, that'd be a trip. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> can, can you guys record it? <laughs> I'll work, work, I think Jim's going to try, so we'll see what happens. Great, great. Yeah. So then uh, Monday the 27th, I will be in Viroqua, Wisconsin. And during the day, I'll be um, seeing clients, and then at night, I'll be giving a talk on depression. Okay. And um, Sunday, uh, March 4th, I'll be in Bozeman, Montana, um, speaking in the morning about energetics and in the afternoon about um, herbs for the respiratory system. Mm-hmm. And there may be a stop in Missoula there on the 3rd, but I, that's not in place yet. But I also have an upcoming um, online course. Um, yes, I was going to ask that, too, because you can, what's cool is Sean's done an online course before, so what, what's the online course? That just means you can do any anywhere. You can do it anywhere, and this mm-hmm. will basically be, uh, I'll be guiding you through exercises uh, to deepen those personal relationships with plants will be over a six-month process, and there will be a community of other people doing it at the same time, so you can check in. We use a Moodle classroom, which is a little bit somewhat similar in its format to Herb Mentor Forum, so there will mm-hmm. be a forum where you can post what you're experiencing. I'll also check in with you personally. And um, you know, I want to say for anybody who's listening to this broadcast, I've had a discount going on this course mm-hmm. where if people signed up by, fe- by February 5th, they could pay half price. But if you mention wow. that you heard about Nerve Mentor Radio, you can pay the $250 price any time up through March 1st. Nice. Sweet. And by the way, I will mention this is 2012. Nerve <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Mentor well, Radio goes year you. after year after year after year. <laughs> so you might be listening to this yeah. in 2014 if we make it past the Mayan calendar. And uh, right. <laughs> and uh, that wouldn't apply then. <laughs> so 2012. Yeah. <laughs> I always and, had to remember. And I also uh, have um, I've been re- partnering with uh, BardicBrews.net, which was originally a site um, doing education about mead. But they uh, uh, recorded a class with me teaching about asthma, and they're about to record it, uh, my teaching about plants for the underworld journey. So those more in-depth uh, recordings and those themes will be available sometime in the next month or two. It'd be and cool It'd be cool to have you back in the future to do specific Urban Radios on depression and on some, you know, that would be cool. I think that'd be really helpful for people. So maybe we can do that. I would love that, yeah. Okay. 
That'd be great. Yeah. Um, and hope. And, and the, the and coming the key, year, my book will be out. Uh, yes, the book. And and do you have a? Are you have have a publisher for that? Or are you work? I mean, uh, are you just are you just I, writing it first? That. Self-publishing? Yeah, I'm I'm writing it, and I'll be self-publishing it. So now I've set it on our mentor radio, and it has to get done. (laughs) (laughs) And and of course, you'll be at Traditions in Western Herbalism conference in late in mid to late September. I don't have the dates offhand, but it's in Arizona this year, and you can find out about that at traditionsinwesternherbalism.com. Of course, Learning Herbs is one of the major sponsors, and we'll be promoting the heck out of that when a time comes <laughs> because we, we uh it I kinda really, cons- I kinda consider it the herb mentor live event because um it's Yeah, it's really it, Yeah. I mean because uh, I, I love really, going we to talk it. about pers- Yeah. Uh, we talk about personal calendars and that's really one of the highlights of mine each year. It's one of my favorite times of the year, an amazing gathering of people. Because myself so, got, I you know, Rosalie and you're there and Jim and Kiva, Seven Song, a lot of the the folks that people know well through videos and forum on herb mentor um you know from especially because kiva and jim are 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 help on the forum so much and you as well and so it's kind of like a little family gathering and and i can't get all over the place every year i travel so much and it's just the one i know i can go to and guarantee so that's why i'm like all right we'll make this the official gathering anyone herb mentor members out there um, listening, uh, who don't know about that, could go check that conference out and know that we'll go and you can meet a lot of people. And it's so great. I love meeting members there and, you know, people coming up and saying, and you probably have too, you know, been there and say, hell yeah, you're Sean from the forum. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's so cool. Like to actually meet in person. So many folks, that's the highlight for me. Cause then I'm like, you know, I'm not just back behind my computer. Like (laughs) usually real people, real. (laughs) So, um, so great. Um, I look forward to your book and uh, all the things you're doing. You can follow Sean at medicineandmagic.com. So please go there, and I'm sure we'll see Sean on the forums. And, um, you know, Sean, it was so awesome that you could spend time with us this morning. I really appreciate it. And this was just fantastic. I really enjoyed it. So thank, thank you. you. I really enjoyed it, too. And I'm just so grateful for everything you do to keep Herb Mentor going. And our community in so many ways. Thank you. We'll see you again and see you all at the conference. Thank you. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio. Copyright LearningHerbs.com. All rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.